0: Hi there and welcome to the Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick and I just learned that the grimace from McDonald's lore is supposed to be a taste
1: bud. Is it the Grimace or Grimace? He's the grimace, I thought, isn't he I think it's just his his name is Grimace
0: Maybe this is something they've changed over oh, it's Grimace, you're right Grimace. And he is supposed to be one of the taste buds on your tongue that can taste hamburgers.
1: That makes sense. My name is Luke, and I have made a delicious bottle of sparkling water, but I have over sparkled it. There's too much carbonation in it. So if you hear some of this in in the recording, that's what it is.
0: Oh, you bought like a soda stream?
1: Yeah, it's great.
0: One time i put whiskey in a soda stream and it tasted better than you'd think but it did ruin it ruined the soda stream it ruined it.
1: well this is it i want to experiment with an awful lot of stuff but i feel like i need a second soda stream to do that
0: in college some friends of mine and i we tried the thing where you put bad vodka into a brito water filter which did make it taste slightly better but then destroyed our Brita water filter
1: sure yes i remember when i was in uni the main thing that you did with vodka was you froze it which obviously is a normal thing to do like keeping vodka very cold but the vodka that we were buying was clearly not good vodka so it would come out and it'd be very gloopy like it would be thick it would be like syrupy
0: that's how we caught a girl stealing our vodka in college where she was taking some and replacing with water and when we put the vodka in the freezer it froze which is not what vodka does
1: wait maybe that's why ours was always gloopy someone was actually stealing a bunch of it it's possible that that's what was happening
0: all right let's get into the show Hi, welcome to the Content Minds. First, what we're talking about this week is To Doom, which is Netflix's new editorial project. We're going to be outlining a possible future in which all internet content is secretly paid for by Netflix to promote their intellectual property. But before we get to that, and before we get to even the start of our show, an announcement, kind of a fun announcement. So this week, we have an editor who is not me editing this show, which is pretty cool. I have edited, let's see here, I have edited 86 episodes of this show from the very beginning. Every week, basically. So I'm trying something new. (laughs) So we're bringing on Michael. Everybody say hello to Michael, Michael Donaldson. He will be editing the show this week. I am very excited to see what happens. I'm very excited to see what we sound like when it's not me frantically putting it together in between other stuff. So now, without further ado, let's get into the proper show. Hey Luke, how was the internet this week?
1: The end of this, this week has been pretty angry. It's been pretty fiery, I think. Really? Yeah, I've felt a lot of heat coming off it. Like, there's been a lot of arguments. Nothing's been going anywhere. But again, this may be related to the, the ongoing issues that my country has been having which are bad and everyone is unhappy and mad because of all the parties.
0: I feel like that is all of British history summed up basically for the last like 300 years. Everyone's unhappy and there's too many parties.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But these were illegal parties, so it's it's a different thing. But again, it's one of these ones where I feel like my week has been quite local. The internet wider has felt more confused, I think, maybe. But the internet in the UK has felt very angry.
0: Yeah, I would say the anger is felt in the American internet as well. We're still mad about Joe Rogan because people keep learning more facts about Joe Rogan. So people are getting more and more angry about that.
1: Yeah, he said the N-word like a lot. A lot. But then also admittedly said, I shouldn't have said the N-word and I regret it, which is... The main thing to say at that point
0: yeah i would say that it could have gone two different ways with the way american media works and i'm glad that he chose that way for
1: sure i do think it's really interesting that a lot of people defending him have assumed that he hasn't said that and it's like no no it's free speech it's okay whereas he is himself saying no that was wrong it's fine to admit that was wrong and again it's this version of like what he thinks and what everyone else thinks about him which is two very different things
0: It is really funny. It is still true that like his concept of himself and his show is drastically different than like what people on both sides of the political spectrum think about his show.
1: I was listening to something about it and someone pointed out like a third of his guests are still just UFC fighters where he just talks about protein shakes.
0: Yeah. It's not like a serious show. The problem with it, I think, is that because the episodes are like three hours long, there's just no way that anyone's going to listen to a bunch of the episodes <laughs> to get informed on it. And obviously, this is not me and Luke defending the show. It's just it's just no. an interesting detail. The other thing that keeps coming up is that people keep comparing him to Howard Stern. But I feel like the thing that keeps getting lost in that conversation is that Howard Stern was being censored by federal broadcast regulators during a GOP administration. For the majority of his career he was being threatened with lawsuits fines and firings from republicans not from democrats
1: yeah that's true democrats censoring people is good republicans censoring people is bad as a rule
0: but but also he was being censored by actual governmental bodies there are no governmental bodies involved with joe rogan it's on the
1: internet yeah but this is where we get to the same stuff that you always talk about about the chilling effect because you guys have got this whole free speech thing.
0: Oh, that's right. You guys don't have free speech. No. Here, Luke, before we get to that, do you want to just describe the details of ongoing court cases in the UK? Just real briefly, you want to run through some ongoing court cases and what's happening?
1: Yeah, sure. So, <laughs> long beep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, we, we have the concept of chilling effect. So it's like anyone crouches on free speech, it all goes.
1: But if you make the argument now that the shrinking of the American government, that they have stepped back from being very engaged and being very willing to make, like, strong decisions, then they have arrived at a point where the real limits on free speech are media-induced. Like, they are public opinion-induced. Right. Which means, yeah, like, you do actually have Democrats, effectively, or Democrats or Democrat-aligned people being like, wow, this is bad, like, we're not doing this version of free speech. And I don't know, it, I, I get in a very weird position with this because I... I am a very long way from a free speech absolutist, but I also think that people should not be constantly, uh, policing is the wrong word because the police are obviously bad and policing speech is bad. I'm trying to think of the right word for it.
0: I think what your rambly pontification (laughs) is leading to though is a really good transition into a similar thing that's happening in the UK right now around a comedian named Jimmy Carr, who I should point out when this row kicked off, I had to text you and be like, Is that Jimmy Carr? Because he he's had so much plastic surgery that I did not recognize him. His skull is a
1: different shape now. He's aged. He was also aged like he. But his skull is a different
0: shape. He looks like a different man.
1: Yeah, but he's like 50 now, I think, I'm guessing, randomly guessing at 50.
0: He was a pudgy little man when I lived in London, and now he has like a Chad chin, and he has the forehead of like a Marvel superhero. He looks insane.
1: I, I, don't, I don't want to blame it all on plastic surgery because libel laws, and all that stuff, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, he was kind of like, I think he was also slightly jubber and had kind of a, like a baby face when he was young, and then got his teeth fixed, got his hair done, redone, and and now he just looks different. Like I, I don't actually know how much of his face shape, shaped. But yeah, he does look very different.
0: So before we continue describing the way Jimmy Carr's face looks, do you want to really quick explain the controversy around him? Because Americans, I think, may have missed a lot of this, even though it's it's very similar to what's happening to Joe
1: Rogan. Yeah. He had a special that went out on Netflix in, I think it was a month or two ago. I think it was December it went, actually went out. He's quite an odd character because, he, you know, he actually is the closest to. Him. He's a little bit like Bob Saget where Bob Saget's public persona was like super family-friendly comedian, was on a lot of like sitcoms and fun things. And then you actually saw his stand-up and his stand-up was like incredibly harsh and dark and bleak. Yeah,
0: no, I would agree that Jimmy Carr in person, he's like charming little whippersnapper guy. And then his like comedy is usually pretty fucked up.
1: Yeah, it is. And the specific joke that he told, which I'm not going to repeat for, I don't know, go on Twitter, it's all over it, was basically mocking Roma people who died in the Holocaust. The actual joke, in context, was not quite that. The context of the joke that he was making was that people forget the non-Jewish victims of the Holocaust. Which is true, not true, it doesn't really matter, it's like a, a reasonable point. The joke that he made out of context, as it appeared on Twitter, was not that, and was deeply offensive, and I think kind of in context was probably also, like, very offensive. But also, he's doing it as a shock tactic. Now, this has become a major flashpoint. And it's become a flashpoint for a few reasons. One is the the, the Corbyn legacy, as the Corbyn project under Labour was very much understood to have had... I'm going to phrase this carefully. was understood to have been less critical and less harsh on anti-Semitic people and tropes within their following than it should have been. And there are many good reasons for that happening. And there are many, many problems that happened with. But as a result, this is kind of totally fired off because an awful lot of people have said like, hang on, this is exactly the same thing as everyone accused, everyone who ever voted for Corbyn of doing and people don't seem to be criticizing him. A bunch of people weighed it in and said, oh no, actually, like he's fine. He's a nice guy. This was out of context and all that stuff. But it also comes down to can it ever be in context? Can it ever not be in context? And are Netflix a publisher? Because they are a publisher and they published it.
0: Which we'll be getting into further in today's show. But I do think it's very interesting where one one Guardian reporter that Luke and I both know, uh, Jim Watterson, pointed this out on Twitter, which is that the show was watched by like 1.4 million people or whatever in the UK. It was very highly rated. And it came out months ago. But the conversation around it didn't start until the tweet. And then what I also thought was interesting, and I had some American friends asking me about this, which was that they were confused why it didn't bubble up. Whereas in in America, things tend to bubble up from people to places to small networks to influencers to larger networks till eventually you have like politicians weighing in day five or six or seven. Yeah. Whereas in the UK, it feels much more top down where it's like, the, the upper crust of society are kind of ignoring all of the things that are going on until it really shoots up. And then one grabs it and uses it. So you have MPs denouncing it. You have, uh, you know, you have the Guardian columnist writing about it. And I think that, like, impacts the way you guys talk about these topics because they're not as populist as they tend to play out in America, I think.
1: Yeah, I think you are right. I think British popular culture is more stratified than we necessarily give it credit for. And things that happen in one area just don't necessarily cross over. And so, like, the people who watch a Jimmy Carr special on Netflix are just quite simply not the people who are going to say, this seems bad. He probably right. shouldn't make the jokes about the many Roma people who died in the Holocaust. When you actually come to the joke, you know, the other elements of it are that the Roma people, particularly in the UK, have felt an awful lot of prejudice in the last years and decades, which is different to the sort of prejudice that, for example... Jewish people or other groups of people have died in the Holocaust. And it does not feel that he would have made that same joke about other groups. Even if it was like LGBT people, he would not have said that same joke.
0: It seemed very deliberate. And the story is like a very uniquely British one where like in America, there's still conversations about whether or not the G word is a slur and how it's used, where it's like pretty much not used at all in the UK.
1: But this is the stratified thing because it absolutely is used in the UK. You just hear people use it.
0: Yeah, I, I actually learned this. It's only used in the most hateful way possible.
1: Right, but it is used in local newspapers. It is used in local politicians' like campaign materials and stuff. Like There is a a very real problem with it. We actually published a story, uh, it would have been about this time last year, about Pontins, which is a like alcohol holiday camp that people go to. And they basically said that they would refuse to... or they would double-check slash refuse to serve anyone who booked if they had an Irish name.
0: Ah, right.
1: And so this is like a very live issue, and it's a very real issue that does exist, which I think is always the thing when he says this, because I also don't think that he is the same person as his audience. And I think this is what what a lot of people confuse. And Joe Rogan does the same thing, where they assume because I think this, because everyone I know thinks this, everyone here is coming on the same journey as me. Whereas in fact, there is a, decent proportion of his audience if not a majority of audience who are saying i found it funny to laugh and he's saying no 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 would actually laugh at that the people who come to my show are smart and then it's like buddy i don't think they are i don't think that's like i don't think they're in the same place as you just because everyone that you speak to is in that place
0: it's the same thing with joe rogan and that absolutely insane montage of him saying the n-word where he's saying there's context that you're missing and it's like Sure, but like a large chunk of your audience is really excited that you, a white man, is saying the N-word like at least 100 times in the course of making your show, which is it's a lot of times. I can tell you yeah. that we have never used it in the course no. of our uh, 84 episodes of The Content Minds. Hey, Luke, speaking of bad men acting badly, how was crypto this week? Please, please, please don't buy an NFT. Please, please, please don't buy an NFT. Please, please.
1: Don't buy it. Please, please, please don't buy it. Please, please, please please don't buy it. (sighs) it Okay. Crypto, it's been as as good as it ever has been. Uh, We now know (laughs) who two of the people behind Bored Ape Yacht Club are. Yes. And it's changed my life.
0: I tried to tweet a thing about this, but Twitter doesn't have enough space to really express this. But there's a scene in the animated Justice League cartoon where Lex Luthor gets his body swapped with the Flash. He spends the whole episode trying to figure out who Superman is and uncovers Superman's secret identity by infiltrating the Justice League. Then at one point in the episode, Lex Luthor realizes, well, at the very least I can figure out who the Flash is. So he gets in front of a mirror and he takes off the Flash's costume and he's like, I have no idea who this person is because the Flash is like nobody. And that's kind of how I felt about the Bored Ape guys, where I was like, <laughs> oh, we finally got him. I have no idea who these people are. Not to say that it wasn't an incredible story and great reporting from, our, from friend of the show, Katie Natopoulos, my longtime antagonist, Katie Natopoulos. It is just really interesting how so much of the success, I think, around Board Ape Yacht Club was based on the fact that the two guys who organized it were able to hide the fact that they were essentially nobodies.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's, it's very clear that not as many celebrities would have been as aggressively or willing to be involved in it if it was just like, hey, these two guys from Florida who you've never heard of would like to yeah. sell you some magic beans. Yeah, yeah. And those magic beans may go up in value or they may go down, but, you know, they're magic beans and they're all magic beans and no one else will have the same magic beans.
0: It's interesting that amid all of the Twitter arguments about doxing and what constitutes doxing because these two guys did not consent to have their identities printed and reported on, nobody talked about how they're probably just pissed that, like, they lost the ability to hide how uninteresting and unimportant they are via pseudonyms.
1: I also do not believe there was any... Case against not doxing them?
0: No, of course not. Are you kidding me? They run like a billion-dollar lifestyle company, or whatever, wherever you want to define it. They're like at the forefront of everything right now. Of course, it is is
1: categorically public interest. Like it is categorically public interest. If you have that sort of wealth, if you are producing that much, well, producing. If you're capturing that much wealth and you are that prominent, you're absolutely a public interest, public figure, and therefore your identity is in the public interest. Sorry.
0: Here's a really good tip. If you don't want to be a public figure, don't have celebrities constantly going in public to shill the thing that you're making.
1: Yes. If the thing that you're making is being shilled on TV, then you're a public figure, and I'm sorry your identity is is now in the public interest.
0: Yeah, sorry. I mean, also it's not doxing to just like – find business records and point people towards them.
1: At no point did it say, this is where this person lives and here's where their children go to school. It just said like, this is the guy. Like,
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: It's mad that there was a conversation about it.
0: I always want to hesitate before being like, I feel like we're entering a new phase of the crypto culture war. <laughs> but I do think if we're not in a new phase, things are definitely escalating. And what's also really interesting, and I've sort of become the center of this in a weird way, or at least I've discovered, I I found myself in the middle of this, which is that like there are more and more pro-crypto people who are coming out as anti-NFT, which I find interesting.
1: Yes, that I think is going to be a really interesting trend, which I also get. Like I get how you can be pro-blockchain, anti-Bitcoin. I get how you can be pro-crypto and anti-NFT. And I think that those divisions are going to get really interesting.
0: There's a whole bunch of crypto influencer types I follow on Twitter and some of them are actually like pretty funny or pretty interesting people who don't seem totally radicalized, you know, which is always (laughs) great. And a few of them are becoming more and more vocal about how they find NFTs just absolutely stupid. And I think that is going to continue. I also think DAOs are going to burst hard very soon. In fact, I saw the first time today a crypto Twitter influencer warning his followers not to join a specific DAO, which he was claiming was a scam or or a rug pull, which I found interesting.
1: I I have seen variants of that, but I also think there is a point at which if it's very hard to verify what the real ones and the non-rug pulls and the non-scams are, like that's a major problem. And as I've said before, I think that the blatant pointlessness of NFTs is a very bad for crypto and crypto people who think that there is an opportunity there. Or, or an opportunity not, not to make money, but an opportunity to do something that rebuilds the financialists in the world or whatever they, they think should absolutely be running as far as they can from NFTs.
0: I would agree. I think they make the whole thing get set back pretty far.
1: Yeah, they made the whole thing stupid. It's
0: stupider. Let's say stupider.
1: <laughs> Fair.
0: So, this week, we are talking about Netflix, and we are specifically talking about a move that Netflix announced this month to launch what they're calling To Doom. And they describe it as the backstage pass to Netflix stories you love. But according to a Business Insider piece that came out earlier this month, they are actively poaching journalists from Conde Nast, from Time, and they're basically planning to build like a viral content publisher based around their properties. And as one Twitter user described it, it it, it almost certainly is going to become astroturfed fandom. (laughs) And I I guess like my first question, I feel like to start, Luke, is like, do you think they can do it? Do you think they can actually make a successful website like this?
1: Well, hang on. I I need to start with another question, which is I've read a lot of stuff and I don't understand where the name comes from.
0: Oh, this I can explain. So Brazilian Netflix started an event series, like a yearly event series a few years ago. And the onomatopoeia in Brazilian Portuguese for the Netflix sound is totum.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right, that's good. I that there's not enough onomatopoeia in uh content websites. Okay. Yeah. To answer your initial question though, yes, bluntly. Like, I I don't see any reason why this would not work. I mean, part of you is saying, okay, if you're going to break down the content that is produced about Netflix shows, then you kind of need to break Netflix down into two areas, which is the dramas, comedies, and the fiction stuff, and the non-fiction stuff. Because the non-fiction stuff is, is, is actually really important for this conversation. The primary content produced around the non-fiction stuff is... Explainers of like what really happened, what are the theories, like what was the true story of it. And they're, they're very, actually, very successful. Like a lot of people look for what happened next, all that sort of stuff. The drama stuff, people are looking for a slightly different thing, which, but it tends to be around what are the actors doing, what are the behind the scenes information, what are the theories about what might be happening, all those bits and pieces. And I kind of look at that and I like, I don't see why Netflix. If they hire well and don't run it like normal Netflix, but run it like a newsroom, can't do as good a job as the, at that as anyone.
0: That's true. I mean, I think a lot of the people who were reacting to this announcement on Twitter bemoaning sort of like the death of objective entertainment content. It's like that happened 10 years ago. There's no yeah. version of the viral content economy in which you're getting the hard-hitting takes on your favorite movies and TV shows. One, because users actively hate that, fun fact. If you're a journalist and you cover The Mandalorian in a negative way, it's not going to be just Disney that's mad at you. It's going to be Mandalorian fans they are going to like swat your house. So that's over. But then also, if you want access to any of the people involved with these shows or movies, which are all increasingly owned by one company that is also the platform in which they're distributed in, you're not going to get it if you're writing about how bad the wigs are on The Witcher, which, once again, is going to send Witcher fans to your house to kill you.
1: <laughs> and people don't, broadly speaking, like, you could be the bold post-Netflix person who is writing the very clear information about exactly why the Netflix show suck and all that stuff, but people don't listen to that.
0: No, there's, in fact, in fact, there's a British website I loathe. I loathe with all my soul because they have dominated SEO results for like anything to do with, will there be a season two or will there be like a new episode? I think they're called Digital Scoop.
1: Digital Spy.
0: Digital Spy, those fuckers. You know, fair play, but they have completely ruined the ability to get any information about whether or not something's been renewed on a streaming service.
1: Because yeah, they're very cynical on the concept of we don't know. (laughs) So, yeah, basically those are the people they're actually competing with. And I think there's something going to be really interesting about do they do that and say, hey, we are the authoritative thing on this. So we will have the correct information faster than everyone else and it will always be correct for everything on Netflix. And therefore they kind of dominate the Netflix SEO space. Then there's a kind of the social half of it where it's can they build fandom, i.e. can they write a piece that just says we absolutely love character X from Y show. And this is why it has a load of gifts and has a load of things on it. And it's not really that inventive, but that's just kind of the the way it is.
0: So I assume, I think (laughs) Netflix can be the definitive news source on Netflix. I I sort of suspect they can pull that off. I am less sure if they can pull off the organic fandom stuff. I also think that like this move to me does not help them with something that we had talked about actually on an episode of post post credit scene, our Patreon exclusive podcast bonus episodes that we do where I sort of described this feeling that like Netflix was becoming the Facebook of streamers and how like the content that was happening on Netflix felt very much like the kind of stuff you see on Facebook, obviously with a higher budget. There's a really
1: good piece on the information this week from Jessica Tinkle about how, why everyone who's not Netflix is abandoning like binge drops yes i saw that like yeah broadly speaking netflix have with most of their shows they just drop all of their sh- episodes and say binge it when you want uh and you get like a big weekend out of it everyone else has kind of said actually we think releasing stuff weekly is a bit better and i would agree with this because intuitively watching stuff over a period of time i do get more into it if you watch like eight episodes in a row of something over one weekend you're kind of like Sure, I've, I've seen it. There's very little differentiation between episodes. You're basically just watching a long movie. But apparently, it is also having an impact on Netflix's subscriber numbers.
0: Yeah, the free trial thing.
1: Right, a lot of people now are switching between things. You know, you're on Netflix for three months, you switch, you watch all the stuff you want to watch there, you go to Disney Prime for three months, Disney Plus, sorry, Disney Plus, then Amazon Prime, but you watch all the stuff you need to do in a short period of time, and then you go to the next one, and then you come back to the initial one, rather than having like four or five streaming services going at the same time. The problem with Netflix is that is you can start Netflix for a month and watch everything. What you actually what the others are doing is kind of saying no, no. If you start then you will be able to catch up on this series. This series will take you a month to get to the end of. It. This series will take you eight weeks, and they're kind of stringing out a bit more, so it functions more like a long term. You're on here now, and you may as well be on here because it's going to take a while for everything to come out. And this is apparently affecting Netflix's bottom line, though the Netflix. Data team says there's no subscriber benefit in doing weekly drops as opposed to binge drops, which I think is flawed. That feels like a flawed analysis to me.
0: What I think is an interesting point here to move to next, which is that Netflix over the last two or three years has, I think, or you know, honestly, maybe from the very beginning, like all the way back with House of Cards and Orange is the New Black but they've made their business model viral cultural moments. And that is a much harder business model to support long-term than creating a TV show that people want to talk about every week. Like if you compare them to HBO, which it has sex in the city reboot, which is supposed to be absolutely horrible, but everyone can't stop talking about it. But you have like mini series like mayor of East town or like white Lotus like they create these things that like aren't massive, but they they sustain the platform in a way that like takes you to the next one, which I think is a much more healthy way to go. Like you can't make a squid game every month. It's just not possible.
1: I mean, that is the model though. <laughs> but but I know it's the model. The squid game is the counter argument to that where it's like, but every now and again, if, we, if every few months we have something that's so irresistible, that everyone has to watch it. Like, it will keep working. But yeah, I agree. I I think relying on that is a challenge.
0: Yeah, and I I assume that's why they're so interested in launching to Doom. Because I, I have gotten the feeling from Netflix over the years that they are a tech company that is very interested in eating the whole internet. And a lot of their social media presence over the last couple years, the fact that like they're now basically just doing like viral content on Twitter and Instagram and places.
1: They sort of stopped that really interestingly.
0: Well, they got a lot of blowback. I think it was honestly after the them account. got yeah. yelled
1: at, Right. Which yeah. if you
0: don't remember their LGBT account basically tried to post through the Dave Chappelle controversy and tweet like a person. And I mean, all the queer people I follow on Twitter were replying being just like, you don't have to do this. You don't get paid enough to do this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I, 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 but they have definitely stepped that back because I do think it sits really uncomfortably and it feels odd and weird. And I think that you, there is obviously a huge amount of value in the initial version of that where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this company is doing this. This is so cool and fun and funny. And then a few months later, it, just, it is not cool and fun and funny. It's just like, ugh, okay, really?
0: Which makes me wonder if like that's why they're doing this, like why they want to make a whole website to put this stuff
1: on. I think they'll get to the same thing. I, I think one of these problems is that they are currently very successful at making sure that their content is prominent on essentially every news website in the world by making sure that there is kind of traffic to go around and there's like a bit of fairness to it. If they start it and do it well, they will hoover up all that traffic and it then means that the Netflix stuff is going to be relatively low on everyone's list to cover because it's like, it's fine, they're covering it all themselves. At which point, if you're not going to this one website to get information for it, how are you going to find out about it? Like, like a big part of this is introducing it to people who were not otherwise aware of it. And I think you lose that if you suddenly start randomly siloing off on one, one website.
0: Yeah. I guess that's what I'm trying to figure Is Like, what is it? Is it a control thing? because you can't make money with a website. It's 2022. Like what do you ta- like there's, there's just like yeah. what is the point of of spending the money to poach the Conde Nast journalists and the Time reporters? Like why why do it? Unless it's purely for vanity.
1: But that's sort of what it feels like and I don't understand the logic behind it because so much of this stuff they can look at and be like, "Hey, 50 million people watch this new series of ours." And also, the post on the website got almost 250,000 views. And it's like, okay, so why are we doing this?
0: I think you're right that like, they have definitely started to try to tweak their promotional strategy. But I'm on their main Twitter account right now, and I'm looking at a post that's two different photos of Kirsten Bell drinking a glass of wine. And she's labeled me, and the wine in one photo is labeled photos of Tom Holland and Zendaya, and then the other photo, the wine is labeled Songs About Divorce Even Though I've Never Been Married.
1: They're still doing it, but there was a period when they were doing this like every 20 minutes.
0: And they were doing threads,
1: which were just like brutal. Yeah.
0: Also, to go back to that post, I don't know what that has to do with Netflix. I, I, I guess this is
1: maybe the... The, the, the... the Kirsten Bell show is a Netflix show.
0: Oh, I know that's a show. I don't know what the, the memes have to do with Netflix. It's just, to me, it feels very much like... All right. I'm going to gonna I'm gonna project a little bit. But I think that Netflix over the last five to ten years poached a lot of people from the world of digital media and they finally hit a saturation point where there's enough people working inside of Netflix who came from the world of digital media where all of them are like, you know what we should do? <laughs> we should launch a digital media site. That's what I think <laughs> happened. That's, that's honestly what my read on this entire situation is that like if you hire enough people from media, their only good idea they're going to have is what if we just make another digital media site?
1: yeah i mean maybe because the goal of what you're doing with the digital media site is to get an awful lot of people to the site so that you make money so you can do other things and at a certain point the digital media site becomes the goal and it's like no that's not that was never the goal
0: yeah like why why if you are netflix why would you like want to start a blog <laughs> Like, it doesn't make any sense. And like, okay, so on the site for the To Doom announcement, they list three examples of like what they're going to do. And a lot of it's like what you already said. But one of it is get the inside scoop, such as has you been renewed? When does season four of Cobra Kai come out? Oh, man, imagine being the poor SEO kid who has to write those stories all day. Number two, dig deeper is made based on a true story. What is a kefta in Shadow and Bone? Where else have I seen the cast of The Witcher? Stories don't have to end when the credits roll. And then the third one, which I find the most sad and troubling, is extend the story. Where can I find the Squid Game tracksuit? Which sounds like e-commerce to me. What's on the Harder They Fall soundtrack? How do I make the necklace from Outer Banks? Bring your favorite stories to life with helpful tips, tricks, and lists. You know what they should do? They should start a short-form video cooking brand. I feel like that's what they should do.
1: (laughs) Oh maybe um, maybe JVN's hands could be in it and that would work.
0: I think that's a great idea. I think they should do lists and they should do quizzes and they should sell Amazon products and they should make short <laughs> videos for Facebook and Instagram. Like I just don't I don't see unless this is just like some sort of larger strategy to just create content that is secretly advertising Netflix, but if it's a Netflix-branded site, like, it's not going to work as well as, like, I would imagine organic news stories about Netflix.
1: I don't know. It might work better. Like, if, if you're searching for Netflix and it's a Netflix site and they have all of the correct things in there, it's like, yeah, actually, that probably will work quite well. But I just I don't understand what benefit it's bringing to Netflix to do that. Like, they release a press release. 10,000 news sites write it up that this is when the next season of you is happening. How does it benefit Netflix to be one of those sites? I don't understand it.
0: If I was an extremely successful company that wasn't having to spend all day managing reporters who are known to be the most awful people in the world to deal with... Well,
1: aside from editors, of course.
0: Aside from editors, of course. I would just simply not... Hire those people and then make it my job to wrangle them, especially people who are used to being s- like severely independent. Why would you do that?
1: Okay, here's one. Here's one. There was a thing that went around the other day that Netflix makes roughly it per quarter about the same revenue as YouTube, but Netflix spends billions on content and YouTube spends nothing.
0: Lord almighty, that is that is so painful to hear. Holy
1: but shit. also that makes that makes sense, doesn't it, right? Like, as soon as you think about, yeah, sure, that does add up. And I do I do wonder a little bit if there is a, something that Netflix is attempting to, I don't want to say pad its bottom line because that's kind of wrong, but, like, it is trying to find less capital-intensive ways of making money because it's also got this reputation. It doesn't make many reality shows. It should make a lot more reality shows. It should make a lot more cheap movies the movies it makes should all for some reason be enormous action blockbusters i don't know why that's the the way they do this but sure that is a good
0: theory that is a theory that i i agree with actually which is that like if you wanted to make a bunch of like not easy money but at least like like money that didn't cost a lot hiring a team of 20 people to just churn out industry-friendly seo content you could probably do it.
1: And you have the credit. You'll be the first with every information. Like Google loves that if you're the first with the, the new information. So you probably will do quite well.
0: Yeah. And you can just flood Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and Google with all your stuff. And, you know, you can make a big splash and maybe like once every six months write like a long form feature from the set. And people will like yeah. wring their hands over whether or not this counts as editorially independent journalism, but people will still read it or whatever. Here's another theory. So in the initial Business Insider report from last week about this, the Doom website was described in a very specific way, which was fandom engine, mm. which is horrifying. But what I think that is getting to is an idea that Netflix is building a hub for not maybe totally fake fandom because like their shows have fandoms. But I think their idea is trying to build a place to monetize user-generated content about their shows, not by collecting the user-generated content, but at least by like creating stuff that can then be used by fans. I think that's what this is.
1: Maybe. And that would also make sense. But also if you're doing a pure play SEO thing, you would also call it a fandom engine because that sounds vaguely positive.
0: I didn't find that positive. I found that horrifying. I thought it was absolutely (laughs) horrifying.
1: Okay. Yeah, well, is it better or worse than we are going to churn SEO content about our own shows to attempt to bleed any remaining income that the rest of the the news industry is able to make away from them?
0: I mean, that is something we actually haven't touched on yet, which we probably should talk about, which is that, like, the (laughs) this is so sad, but, like, I'm going to ask our listeners over the next week to just, just keep an eye out for what internet content you're looking at that's been professionally made by some sort of publisher that is about a streaming series or a streaming movie. Like, how much of, of our digital diets at the moment are basically just derivative content about whatever's streaming on Netflix or HBO or Disney+. Plus.
1: You're talking to someone who helps run a publisher. So... <laughs> like yeah. i can tell you it's not a it's a non-zero amount it's like a, it's a reasonable amount but equally it's it's kind of as with everything
0: oh no wait i sorry i should have been more clear i wasn't talking about like the new york times or like your newspaper i was talking about that middle tier between like substack at the bottom and gawker at the top the sites that sort of fill up the rest of the internet the digital spies, the Decider.coms, the games rant or screen rant or whatever.
1: Screen rant. They they are a curse. They are, I hate them as much as you hate digital spies. <laughs> like
0: the the web like there's a whole chunk of the internet that are basically websites that prey on people who love genre fiction and pay them minimum wage to write 12 stories a day about whatever's happening on Netflix. That whole chunk of the internet is about to be eaten and maybe it should, you know, maybe the days of like the weird predatory boutique publishers publishing SEO garbage are going to disappear. But like, I don't know. I don't know if this is good. <laughs> I don't know if this is a better version know. of that. It
1: does different of feel good. I don't know. I think that Netflix is having its Facebook buying WhatsApp moment. Actually, I think both Netflix and the New York Times are having their Facebook buying WhatsApp moments at the same time because the New York Times was buying Wordle and Netflix is launching this site where it's suddenly like, sure, you can do this. I don't know why you would. And it's kind of annoying that you're trying now. Which I'm glad you
0: brought that up because I think it is important that we no longer make a distinction between forms of monopolies. <laughs> I think that like all major companies eventually will buy stuff they don't need to buy for no reason. And then eventually become too bloated that they can't function properly. The New York Times is a monopoly. Like they're they're just a straight up Media Monopoly. They are the only newspaper left in America, really. And now they're buying, like, Wordle.
1: Wordle does fit into their existing pattern. A really interesting number, if you want to know it, is that the New York Times gained more subscribers to its cooking and puzzles combined than it did to its news section in the last quarter.
0: You know what? That's not a good thing. <laughs> I don't think. In fact, my read on that entire thing, actually is not that people don't want news or don't want to pay for news. My read on that is that like people don't want to pay for unsanitized, objective view from nowhere news stories about stuff that happened two weeks ago.
1: I don't necessarily agree or disagree with that. Look, all newspapers have always been funded. All news sources have always been funded by the most profitable element of them, which funds the very unprofitable stuff, which is the stuff that people want to do. That's why the newspaper exists. New York Times investigations are funded by a load of people playing the crossword every day. And that's fine. That's how that should be. Like, there's a correct mechanic. Fifty years ago, newspapers were funded by the fact that you read the sports pages first, and then occasionally there'd be a good investigation on the front page. Or well, the class—well, actually, historically, it was the classifieds. Like, the classifieds funded the yeah. newspaper, and like eighty percent of their income was from classifieds. And then also, the- then they did news off the back of it. And the major collapse of newspapers has been caused by Facebook eating the classifieds rather than programmatic advertising, which usually is it, but. What you then have is a mechanic where you do need to figure out what that thing is. And at the moment, for a bunch of publishers, an element of that is writing about Netflix shows, writing about whatever they're doing, because yeah. then you can afford to do the other stuff that, that you want to do that has more public interest value. It's, it's not that Netflix stuff doesn't have value. Of course it does. That's what people are looking for. That's what people are reading. It's that it is efficient. And if Netflix could like, no, we're going to take all this now, It's like, oh come on! It's actually the same. It's actually exactly the same as the athletic as well. They did the exact same thing, where they said, "What we're going to do is we're going to take all the local sports reporters." And it's like, sure, okay, but like, if you are running a newspaper in some tiny town in the north of England, a bunch of your traffic every year, like a a proportion, like ten percent or something stupid, is going to come from that once a year hit you get of all the transfer rumours, and you just pump it out make a load of revenue, and then you can afford to have someone who goes on to the council meetings that actually matter. Right. And instead, the go, no, no, we're going to take all of that. We're going to take this profitable bit and put it into a separate place, and now you have to survive on how many people want to read about the council meetings, which they don't until everything goes horribly wrong in 10 years' time, at which point the newspaper is gone because it's not profitable anymore, and then no one knows what happened.
0: So I'm excited to see Netflix start getting in on that action and eating <laughs> away all of that from everyone else. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. What is interesting, though, and, and maybe this is a view of where this is all headed, because you know we sort of like to end these episodes of like looking forward. One media trend in this space that I've been very interested in are Patreon-backed scoopers and leakers. So particularly in the world of Marvel movies and Star Wars movies, there are people who have sources, whether they're real or not, inside of these productions and get leaks and put them behind Patreon paywalls. And and these people have like followings on Reddit. Some of them are deeply hated because the stuff that they leak isn't liked by fans, which is also funny because it's like, imagine, <laughs> like, uh, like, I mean, it's it's actually not just much from Transfer Rumors where it's like, you might hate the reporter who's telling you the rumor of the thing that you don't want to happen, but you might still pay for it just to be triggered by it. So I don't want to be too apocalyptic where we're like, there will no longer be any editorially independent journalism about giant intellectual property franchises. There are.
1: No, it'll be the New York Times. (laughs) (laughs) That's it.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's the New York Times and a bunch of random people on Patreon. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) That's what it is. And like, I don't know, I I do find that in a weird way, kind of optimistic where it's like muckrake investigative journalism in the entertainment world will survive. No matter what, like every streamer could have their own version of doom and there will still be like a team of three or four people on Patreon just hiding out behind the scenes of every production and taking secret photographs. It's also
1: because they're actually breaking news. Like <laughs> a big part yeah. is they're breaking news and that's why it's valuable.
0: Yeah, I had large chunks of Spider-Man No Way Home ruined for me by guys on Reddit and YouTube who are funded via Patreon for getting those exact kind of scoops. In fact, I just got another one And I'm absolutely furious, I know, now. Don't tell me. After the recording, I'm going to tell Luke to ruin his day as well,
1: but... I mean, I don't. don't. I'm actually very good at avoiding scoops now, it turns out.
0: You are. I am not. My algorithms point them directly at me. But that is a good (laughs) transition into our next segment. Hey, Luke, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week?
1: I have. I don't know if you guys have heard about this company called the New York Times but they produce a podcast about the British media and we need to talk about that I really want to talk to you about that
0: because I saw it and I was like I bet Luke wants to talk about this
1: <laughs> Yeah. How about you? What content have you consumed?
0: I have completed the main story of Pokemon Legend of Arceus or Legend of Arceus I am still uncertain how to say that name
1: do you have thoughts on the graphics?
0: Uh, it is actually the first game that ever made me motion sick, like physically almost vomit-inducing motion sick. So I'm happy to. T- I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about that. And if you want to hear those conversations, that very coherent collection of topics, <laughs> a New York Times podcast with the British media and Pokemon Legend of Arceus, definitely head over to patreoncom slash minds to check that out. Thank you guys for listening to the show. I want to thank our editor this week, Michael Donaldson, for doing this. Thank you for taking a chance on our little show and helping me not have to edit another episode of it. I'm hoping to God the raw audio wasn't embarrassing. Please don't tell anyone about how we sound
1: without it. Um, Wait, was I supposed to have my mic on for this?
0: You've recorded directly into your laptop again, right? That's that's how you did it? Yeah, I assume so, yeah, yeah. yeah. We had two questions from listeners this week, actually. So Bad Boy Blue asks, Hey, do you know what in the world happened to Facebook's stock price? Are you going to cover it on next week's show, or is this kind of normal?
1: Oh, that would have been a great topic. We should have done that.
0: We should have done that instead. There's going to be a lot more Facebook stuff coming out. Peter Thiel just dropped out of Facebook, and I assume more dark enlightenment, neo-reactionary people are going to leave.
1: We should do a big Facebook episode next week.
0: Let's do a big Facebook episode next week, because I think... Some things have happened in that space that are still happening and we're going to wait and get the whole story for you next week. And then the last one is from corn wankies who asks, can we get an update on Ryan's dad's life? Last we heard he (laughs) bought property in El Salvador or something. How is his post Trump life going? I feel fondly for the guy. I want to know he's still ticking along. Sorry if that's too parasocial. It's not too parasocial. That's fine. He is essentially the third host of the show. My dad bought property in Belize he signed the paperwork last week to sell it, so he is he is officially out of the real estate game in Belize, which I'm very relieved about. He bought a new property to fix up in his hometown, which he's been very busy working on.
1: It's more accessible than Belize.
0: Much more accessible than Belize. And he's staying busy. He doesn't like Joe Rogan, which is kind of the biggest, nicest thing about this current moment, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. the amount that Joe Rogan speaks means it doesn't allow any time for your dad to speak. And that's what he likes doing.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He can't talk back to Joe Rogan. Uh, so that, that would be boring for him. So yeah, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Please go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash the content minds. We're going to go ahead over there. See you guys next week.
1: Yeah. Bye.